0: We're excited everyone's here this morning. We've been going through the book of James, and it's been really good for us. We, we've we gone through books before, but this one's a little different. We're kind of walking through the entire book through the summer. So we've gone through books and kind of and, and pulled out themes from different books in the past, but, but this we're actually anchoring down into each verse and, and going through. So it's been really, really sweet for us. So... If you are, if you're looking for a book to read during the summer, read, read James. I know a lot of you guys are reading James already, um, but read James along with us as we go through it. So let me, let, let's flash up this first picture. Do you guys know who this is? Anyone know who that is? Anyone? Okay, I see some hands. Yeah, you guys are following this story. This is a big story this week. Uh, Rachel Dolezal. So... She, You can see here on her profile, she's a professor of Africana Studies, uh, Spokane, Washington, NAACP uh, volunteer and leader, and uh, there's her education, things like that. She does a lot of things in the community for uh, racial diversity and, uh, and things like that. Well, this week, it came out that she's actually not black. She's Actually, let's throw up the next picture. She, that's her picture growing up, next to her. Uh, so that's her today. This is what she looked like uh, when she was growing up. And so what this has done is it's undermined everything that she's done. She's getting attacked from white people. She's getting attacked from black people. Uh, and the NAACP says, we don't care what race you are. You can be a leader. in the... And So the NAACP is... Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess up the acronym now, (laughs) but it's, it's a National Association for Colored People. I don't know what the A is, the other A is. Maybe National African American, some, I don't know. So, uh, they say, you don't, we don't care about race. You can be a leader. You can be a leader in, in which, whichever race you are, you can still be a leader in, in the NAACP. So, but she has lied and she, she's built her whole career volunteering her, I mean, she's, her whole professorship off of a lie, uh, and she's been telling everyone that she's she's black when she's actually white. And her parents came out this week and said her heritage is Czech, German, and Swedish. I don't know if you can get whiter than Swedish. Uh, <laughs> all right, you can't get whiter than Swedish. Apparently, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she and and it's undermined everything. And that's what that's what lies do. In this, this passage, James is talking about uh, a lie. A lie that that uh, that the church often tells about who our God is. And he's addressing this issue of division and disunity and partiality in the church. And he's saying that this isn't the God we serve. This is actually a lie against against our God. And it's a powerful one at that. And what it does is it if 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 we live by that lie it begins to undermine everything about our faith so this is a very important issue that James is addressing addressing here and that's that's just what's happened with with her and it's sad uh, but this is actually happening in the church uh because of this issue of partiality of division of disunity of discord so two statements i want to throw out there uh, division, disunity, partiality in the church—they reflect lies about our God. The second statement is love, liberty, and mercy in the church reflect the truth about our God. And James deals with both of these in this passage. The first seven verses he talks about what what is perpetuating this lie, and he addresses it. And then the next the the next section of verses he talks about the truth about who our God is. So. That's all we're going to do this morning. We're going to address we're going to address the lie. James corrects it. He doesn't condemn it. He doesn't condemn the people. He just corrects them lovingly. So we're going to do that. And then we'll talk about the truth and the beauty of of the gospel here. So, if you are a Christian, if you've grown up a Christian, if you've grown up in the church, you've seen you've probably seen some of this. If you are a seeker, uh, not a follower of, <coughs> excuse me, not a follower of Jesus. You've probably seen some of this, and this may be one of the reasons why. This may be the first time in a long time you've stepped foot inside a church service, because you've seen discord, you've seen disunity, you've seen partiality, you've seen segregation in the church, and and so this is the the issue we're addressing this morning. So James starts off, we're just going to walk through the passes. James starts off and he says, he says, my brothers, my brothers and sisters. So he starts off by saying, this is a family. He says, my brothers and sisters, like, we're a family, okay? We are, we shouldn't act this way. What if I came in this morning and I said, I, so I have two daughters, a, f- a five-year-old and an almost four-year-old. Emerson is the five-year-old, Reagan's the, the four-year-old. What if I came in and I said, you guys, I love Emerson way more than I love Reagan. This morning, I, okay, okay, I don't, I don't love her more. I just do a lot more things for her. You know what? What if I said that? What, what, what kind of father would you think? Would you think I am? Or if I said, I said I love my mom more than my dad, or, or you know, whatever. Whatever. Uh, so, if if I'd said this morning, you guys were like, "Whoa, you can't say that about your kids. They're both." Awesome and amazing, and you can't choose one of the o- one, one or the other. But that's and that's what James is getting at. He's like, look, we're brothers, we're sisters, we're family. You can't you can uh, you can't show partiality. And he, right after that, he says, show no partiality. And he says, do it. Don't show partiality as you hold to the faith. Okay, and that's that's key because he says we're holding to something that has no partiality in it. And so when we show partiality, we're not holding to what's, what's true. Now we're holding on to a lie. So the question that, that comes out of this is, well, who are you withholding the gospel from? If you're, if you're a believer, if you're a believer in this gospel, this gospel that brings peace and hope and unity and joy. I mean, that's, that's one of the chief characteristics of the gospel is it unifies. If you're a believer in this gospel, then who are you withholding it from? We're all, the scriptures are clear, we're all one in the kingdom, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. This is Ephesians 4. But we tend to treat people differently, and when we do that, we're withholding the gospel from them. We're withholding withholding this gospel of life, of peace. But the gospel transcends all these things, right? The scriptures are clear. transcends socioeconomic class, it transcends uh, gender and race and Religion and cultural barriers and language—it transcends all all those things. Galatians three says there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. And this is this is the gospel. I I played basketball this week with Simon. It's a mistake. No, it was fun. Uh, I just hadn't played basketball in a, in a while. Is Simon here? That's someone. Oh yeah, there he is. He's laughing. He was like, "Yeah, it was a mistake. I shouldn't have invited you." No. So we we played basketball this week, and he brought uh, or one of his friends was there, and and as we were talking about Vietnam, just got back from Vietnam last month, and Vietnam came up, and uh, his his friend his friend said, "So I don't know. This might sound crass, but uh, this these are his words. This might sound crass, but are you?" Is your idea of mission when you when you go somewhere is your idea of mission only to help those who believe what you believe and to you know he said only those who've been baptized and and if not or and if it is, would do you force do you think it's it's good to make those people believe and get baptized in order for you to help them? I was like, wow, interesting question uh I said actually what I said was, have you heard the Spanish Inquisition? He was like, yeah. I was like, that's my philosophy of ministry. <laughs> totally disarmed him right away. Um, and said, no, no, of, of course not. Of course not. Um, if that was, if our mission as a church was to only serve the church, then we're not living out the mission of the gospel. And the sad thing is, from his question, that may have been—I don't know for sure—but that may have been his experience with the church. That the church only serves the church, and so sometimes we're withholding the gospel from each other. Sometimes you're you're mad because someone's maybe sinned against you, and so you're withholding a gospel of peace from them. Uh, but sometimes you do this with people outside the church, like who's your coworker that they're not experiencing the gospel of peace because you have some grudge against them or your family member who's not experiencing the gospel of joy because you're just always miserable about things. And all all they know about your faith is that it doesn't bring joy, but it, they look at you and they see misery. And when we do those things, we're withholding what God has entrusted to us to give out. And James says, don't do that. We should not we should not be partial. And unfortunately, I mean, these instances happen both inside the church and outside the church. And our discord is spreading these lies about who our God is. Look at verse 2. He gives an example here. And here's his example. He says, for if a man walks in wearing a gold ring, so he walks in with privilege and fine clothing, and then he contrasts him to someone who walks in in poverty and filthy clothing, how many of you guys have gold rings on today, by the way? <laughs> I just read this, I was like, oh. Mine's tungsten, so um, I'm good. But he he's saying if, if you walk in with privilege and fine clothing, and someone walks in with poverty, in poverty and filthy clothing, and you treat them differently, then this is wrong. It's wrong. So he he makes this very specific socioeconomic distinction. Uh, Or or he highlights this distinction we're making. And he says here that you've made it. He doesn't say that this is a distinction. He says you've made this happen. You've done this. I mean, if you look at the early church, this was written 2,000 years ago. This was an issue in the early church. We're still dealing with this issue today. We still have this problem in the church. The church in the West has become this uh, upper-middle-class, middle-class... institution. And we've forgotten how to talk to those who, who uh, are marginalized. We've forgotten how to minister to those who are marginalized. We've forgotten how to just engage and be friends with those who are in a different class than us. And this is, we talked about race early on, but um, uh, one of the large problems too is just class. Like we don't, we don't know how to talk to people either above our class or, or below our class. And James is addressing this issue, and it's still an issue. And he says, this is happening in the assembly. This is happening when you guys assemble together, you're making these distinctions. So he's, he's talking about this. It's happening in here, so in a worship service. And so sometimes churches do a great job of engaging our city, and we reach out to the poor, and we volunteer at organizations, and that's, that's great. But what happens when those people from those organizations start coming into your, your assembly and your service? What happens when 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 uh, these these people come into your home? What happens when uh, these people start asking? We start asking each other for things, and that's when the gospel really hits the road. And we're like, "Oh, well, I'm not I'm not ready for that. That's not that's not what I want." But that's if we're gonna if we're gonna have the gospel present in our lives, we need to see it present here in a service like this. The, the biggest thing I love about us being here at Jarvis Collegiate, uh, bes- like we moved from Cabbage Town, and we were kind of nestled into uh, a neighborhood there, uh, and then now we're kind of closer into downtown. The biggest thing I love about being here is that people just walk in off the street, and they might still be hungover from the night before, and we get to show them the love of Christ and Show them the gospel. We haven't had anyone be rowdy yet, but I'm assuming that's coming. Uh, and I love that. I love that we're more accessible to this neighborhood, whereas before we were kind of nestled into into like this this little area in, in Cabbage Town. It's awesome to to be able to open open these doors and have people walk in like that. Uh, and it it's going to increase our faith, guys. It's gonna it's gonna increase our engagement with our city. So we want to welcome we want to welcome this. He says here that this distinction is also evil. This is a, that's a really strong word that he says that it's evil. He doesn't say, Oh, guys, it's, it's not good that you make this distinction. No, he says the root of it is it's, it's evil. And this is because what we've done is judged by the outward appearance. And the kingdom of God is not, is not one of outward appearance. It's all about, it's all about the heart. When Jesus comes on the scene, The first sermon he preaches is called the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 5 through 7. And this is basically the kingdom manifesto. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he gives this and says, this is what the kingdom looks like. And he starts off with what's called beatitudes or blessings. And he says, blessed are the so-and-so for they shall do this. What Jesus doesn't say is, blessed are the privileged for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But that's what the church looks like a lot of times. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say, blessed are those who make money, for they shall receive comfort. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall receive comfort. And he doesn't say, blessed are the pure in beauty, or those who look great on the outside, because they'll, sh- they'll, sh- for they shall see God. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the kingdom is a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of outward appearance. But that's what we, that's what we judge by. And, and James is saying, that's, that's evil. In verse 5, he goes on, he says, listen. And when, when we see that word, if you, we've been going through James, right? So you see, listen. This kind of harkens us, and Cindy pointed this out in her prayer. This harkens us back to verse 22, where he says, be doers of the word, not just hearers. Because if we do that, we deceive ourselves. I love that you prayed that, Cindy, because that's exactly what he's talking about here. He says, listen, don't just be doers. uh, Don't just be hearers. Be doers as well. And he calls them beloved. He says, my beloved brothers, my beloved brothers and sisters. If you look in in your scriptures, uh, in the footnotes, it'll say that. Uh, My beloved brothers and sisters. So again, he's not condemning them. He's just trying to lovingly correct them. So that's what we're doing this morning. He's exhorting them in love. And then he talks about who the poor are. He says God's chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. So who, who are the poor? Who are the poor in the world? The Beatitudes talk about the poor in spirit. Luke actually says the, the poor. Uh, so what does this mean? Is it just those who don't have money? What do we say? Well, oh, the, the poor are only those who, who don't have money. I think that's a very reductionistic view of, of of poverty. Actually, what the scriptures allude to is that the poor of the world are those who the world considers poor. And when I say the world, the New Testament uses the world in the sense of there's the kingdom of heaven and there's the kingdom of the world. So they're, they're kind of uh, opposite ends of each other. So... So the world uh, is, is those, or, or the poor are those that the world considers poor. So our world considers those without money to be poor because that's what our world values, right? We value money. But who else does our world consider poor? And maybe I should put it another way. It's those who don't relish in the things of this world. So the poor could be those who don't relish in the things of this world, or those who've given up the fleeting pursuit of the things of this world. Okay, so what's funny is if you actually look at uh, who the world considers poor, yes, it's people without money, but it's also us who believe in Jesus, because we're supposed to have given up the things of this world, and they think we're just a bunch of idiots, and We have nothing to offer uh, society, which sometimes can be true, um, shouldn't be true, but it's sometimes what it's looked like. And so if we redefine the poor as those who've given up the fleeting pursuits of this world or those who don't relish in the things of this world, the things that the world values, so money is one of those things, success or power can can be those things. It's not that I don't value success, I want to be successful, but I have a different... I have a different idea of success than the world has. And that's an idol God questioned me when he called me <laughs> in ministry. Um, actually, our idea of success was, and we were, we were believers, but it was making a lot of money, having great jobs, getting all these material possessions, you know, nice house, nice cars, nice whatever, you can, whatever you want, you can throw in there. Taking vacations, being comfortable, that was our idea of success. And if that's your idea of success this morning, that's the world's idea of success. That's not the biblical idea of success. And so God needs to crush that in you to show you what success in the kingdom is. If you look at what the kingdom looks like in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh you'll see what success in the kingdom is. And we won't we won't go into that. But so this is how if if you if you uh do kind of one-on-one or one-on-two discipleship with me, this is how this is how I'll start it off. So, cause you may not think you relish in the things of this world. Okay? Uh, I, I feel like I don't, sometimes I don't think I do, but then when I go through these questions, I say, oh, yeah, uh, I do. And you may not think you pursue the things of this world, but just think about these five questions as I, as I read them off. So, what are the last five shows, videos, movies you watched? Just, you don't have to shout it out. Just just think about that. What are the last five big purchases or donations you made? This just area of finances. What are the last five books, articles, blogs, journals you read? What were those? What are the last five albums you listened to? No one, Everyone hates when you talk about music. Um, and now this isn't, what I'm doing here is not condemning you. Whenever I, I do this, in way, I say, I'm not condemning you, because you'll see my answers, <laughs> and we'll see your answers. We're not comparing answers. Um, and I look at my answers and say, oh, I, I need to do a lot of work. Uh, but that'll tell you where you spend a lot of your time, okay? And I'm not making a distinction between what's sacred and what's secular. I'm not saying, like, all, you know, secular music is is bad. I'm not saying if you listen to New Kids on the Block, they're coming to Toronto, and I just saw somebody in here who I know is going, and I'm not going to say who, and who has been and who loves them. Probably had their sleeping bag growing up, and, you know, I haven't been to her place, but I'm sure it's, like, decked out in New Kids on the Block stuff. <laughs> but uh, I'm not saying all New Kids on the Block stuff is. bit. Okay, I am saying all this stuff is bad. (laughs) They're a bad example, though. But, so I'm not saying all this stuff is bad. Uh, but, and Paul says this, he says, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Not all things edify us. Okay? If they're not edifying us, we, we tend to think, oh, it's just neutral. No. There is no neutral. If it's not edifying us, it's bringing us down. Okay. So when you look at that list, last five, all those things, that should give you a level. And last time I did this with somebody, they're like, So are you saying this says something about my faith? I was like, Yeah, it, that, it does. It exactly says something about your faith. Cause the next, the next four questions I ask are, Well, who are the last five people you shared your faith with? What are the last five books of the Bible you read in full? When were the last t- five times you fasted and prayed over something specific? And what were the last five things you heard from God through the scriptures or through somebody else? And most of the time when I do this, we all have answers to the first four questions, but we can't really think of very many answers for the f- last four questions. Because they're reading a whole bunch of other stuff that. Maybe okay. Like I read the news every day, um, and that's 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 fine. Uh, or I read certain there's there's certain magazines that I always read: The Atlantic, The Economist, uh, National Geographic, to just keep like a world perspective. Um, but am I reading am I reading the the book that brings life every day? And so this is just a discipleship paradigm that shows us where we're at. And then the last question I always ask is, what are, what are five things we can improve on? And we look at our list, and I look at my list, and I say, wow, there's more than five areas I can improve in. And they look at their list, and they do the same. So I say that because it shows us what we relish in the world. If our last five big purchases were for electronics, it <laughs> shows us where our, our, we're putting our value. If our last five movies that we saw had uh, a bunch of sex and violence, well, it shows, it shows you, and I'm not condemning, but it shows you what you're putting in your mind, right? And how are you going to live out your faith if you're putting junk in your mind? So, and the life of the mind is huge in the New Testament. Paul says this. I know I say this a lot, but the life of the mind is huge. Philippians 4, set your, set your mind on things that are, that are true, noble, praiseworthy of excellence and he says in 1 Corinthians 2, we have the mind of Christ. That's huge. We have the mind of Christ. Christ has given us his mind. Colossians 3, uh, set your heart and mind on Christ Jesus where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Like, those are huge things about just the life of the mind and how it influences the way we act. So pay attention to what we're putting in. Um, that's going to help us walk out our faith. And we always say, well, gosh, I'm struggling with this sin. I'm struggling in this area. And I say, well, what are you putting in? If we put kingdom in, kingdom is going to come out. If we put trash in, trash is going to come out. Okay? So, James is, James is kind of dealing with that here, you know, with, with what people value value in the world. The, the example he uses here, of course, is, is money, which is what we've been talking about. And the problem is, like, they have and we have. We bought into this lie that we need these things. Now we need money or we need uh, this specific thing or we need to listen to this music because everybody else is doing or we need to listen or we need to watch this or, or uh, we need to treat people this way or we need that job or we need that position. And James says in doing so, in verse 6, we've dishonored the poor man. He says you have dishonored the poor man and then he says, The rich are the ones dragging you into court, these these people who are who are chasing after the world, and they are the ones who are blaspheming in verse seven the honorable name by which you are called. And it's because you're seeking the richness of this world that those things are happening. And all the while we're losing what he says in verse five we're losing the richness of faith and we're losing the kingdom. And what we're doing is we're forsaking a promise because this is a promise we have. We're forsaking the promise for a perhaps because we're chasing things that are fleeting in the world. And those things may or may not come. And when they do come, they're only going to last for a little while. And he says, all the while over here, you have a promise of being co-heirs in the kingdom. And we'll talk about what that means in a second. And that's the good news. So... He just tried to correct them, not condemn them, just try to correct them. And then he goes on and he talks about three things. He talks about love, liberty, and mercy. And he says, he talks about the law a lot in this next section. I don't know if you noticed this when Sini was reading. Their law was mentioned a few times. But he's talking about the law of liberty. So this isn't legalism. He's not trying to put a box on it. He's saying, no, this actually is freedom here that that he's, that he's trying to give. Verse 8, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. It's interesting that he uses this, this word well, because he used it in the first passage to say, you sit people well. When they come in, when the rich people come in, you sit, you, you seat them well. And he kind of flips the well here. He says, no, if you're loving your neighbor, that's when you're well, that's when you're doing Well. When Jesus talks about this verse, because he's quoting Jesus here, when Jesus talks about this verse in his ministry, he says, if you do this, you will live. He says, it'll bring life. And you will live. Like, if you actually live this out, if you if you make this a part of the way you do things, it'll bring you life and it'll produce life in other people. That's so beautiful. He says, if you love God, because the first part of this commandment is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So love God, love neighbor. Uh, he says that is the greatest commandment. Love God, love neighbor. And he says if you do that, you'll live. Like that's, that's awesome. James says here, yeah, you're, you're doing well if, if that's what you're doing. And this is what it means to be an heir of the kingdom. He says, if you sh- basically what he's saying is if, if you show partiality, you're not doing this. You're not loving your neighbor. You're loving one over the other or more than the other. And what does this say about your love for God? And this is what people outside of the church, when they look at the church, this is what they're, what they're uh, judging us by. They're saying, you guys say you love God, but you're not loving your neighbor very well. You know what the church is known for in the city mostly? It's not all the good things we do. I hope Trinity Life Church is known for the way we engage the city. I hope Trinity Life Church is known for the way we love people. But the church as a whole isn't known for those things in our city. The church as a whole is known as a... or is caricatured as a bigoted people um, sometimes misogynistic which if you read any of this book it's completely unmisogynistic. Um, this book elevates women it does not put them down if you don't believe me read proverbs 31 later today uh, if you don't have a bible download it on your phone look at proverbs 31 and you'll see that all that it does is elevate, is elevate women. And Proverbs 31 it was written thousands and thousands of years ago, and, and it's elevated. But but the church is still kind of caricatured as that. We're known as against other religions, against two, two of the biggest, uh, two of the most uh, push forward communities in our city, most valued communities in our city are the the Muslim community and the LGBTQ community. And those are the two communities that the church is generally uh, thought to be against. And it should not be that way, guys. That's not what I want Trinity Life Church to be known for. We should be known as a church that welcomes Muslims, that loves Muslims. Uh, We were in Vietnam last month because we want to take what's going on there and take it into a Muslim country. And not to not to like go in and uh, and do the Spanish <laughs> Inquisition and start making people believe what we believe, but to go in and benefit society, do what we're doing here we want We want to be here and engage the LGBTQ community and show them that we're not bigoted and that we we love you, and deep waters is a huge part of that. Uh, and we we love what deep waters is doing and uh, and we want to push that forward because that is that 's our heart uh, to engage these these communities that are generally against generally people view us against, and that 's not the message of the of the gospel the message of the gospel is, is peace and unity we want to bring that so he mentions law here um, and And law here, when we think of law, we think confining, something that that restricts us. Uh, But actually, law really in in the scripture just means God's instruction. Now, you may still say, oh, that's confining, that restricts us. (laughs) But law is just just a word for God's instruction in in the scripture. And he says, actually, the law that God gives us isn't a law that that puts us in a box or a prison, it actually frees us. It's called the law of liberty. And he says it's called the perfect law. Earlier in James, he calls it the perfect law. And in verse 10, he says, verse 10 and 11, he says, if you break any point in that law, you've broken the whole law. And that's because what you're transgressing isn't a singular law. What you're transgressing is a covenant, a covenant that God has made with his people. And so when you transgress one part of the covenant, you've transgressed the whole thing. Here's an example. James uses like adultery and murder. Those aren't necessarily uh, common, common sins. So um, I'm going to kind of bring this down. So this was 2000, the year 2000, um, right after Y2K. I was happy we had survived Y2K. If you, if you were, if you were alive during that time, uh, it was actually really stressful. We're like, what do we do? You know, some families got like flares and brought up all the water and, and stuff, you know, stockpiled alcohol and guns. If you're in America, <laughs> oh, uh, my family, we're just like, well, if it's over, it's over. So why'd you get happen? So still riding that wave, right? Um, This was right before, this was the day before I was to go to Thailand. So I was in university uh, in the year 2000. Uh, Day before, right before I was to go to Thailand for a whole month. And uh, I was going to Thailand with my my mom's Thai, so I was going to Thailand with my family to see our family. And uh, I was late for work. work. I had to work that night. I managed a restaurant when I was in university. And I was late for work, and I was... Speeding to work. I mean, I was in a, yeah, I was speeding really fast. I was doing double the amount I should have been doing because I was late. Uh, and I'm a sinner. <laughs> so I, I was going, and of course, a cop was coming this way, sees me, like, does a U turn in the road and pulls me over and, and, you know, yells at me, asks me if I'm drunk and, and all this stuff. And they were actually going to arrest me and take my license right there, but they didn't because uh, I told them I was leaving the country the next day. And so what ended up happening, I got, I got speeding, reckless driving. I got fleeing from the cops on there too. That's another part of the story that I won't talk about. <laughs> I'm not going to confess that yet. So I, I got that on there, and they took my license. Some in university, they took my license, they suspended it. I had to do community service. I took my license. I'm like a criminal now. They took my license, community service. Uh, I have a job. I have classes. I'm trying to have a girlfriend, and having my mom take me to work and classes and stuff isn't good for my my game, right? Mm-hmm. That is that is no bueno for university. I was like, Mom, hey, just drop me off here. She's like. <laughs> we're two kilometers away. <laughs> like, it's okay, it's okay, I'll, I'll walk. <laughs> uh, it was so embarrassing, it was so embarrassing. Uh, and even, like, community service was, was pretty bad, too. And they, they treated me, and they didn't know what I did, but they knew I was doing community service. And they treated me like any other criminal, because criminals do community service, right? So I was just like anybody else. And the whole time I thought... I'm better than this. Like that's that's not me. I'm not like this guy over here. He's doing community service, but I don't know what he did, but he he did something worse than I did. And the whole time I was I was doing that dur- during community service and when my license was suspended and that's what we do. We think, "Oh, why don't I don't sin like that person does." You know, and, and James uses adultery and murder. He uses these sins that a lot of people don't do, right? And he's making a point. He's hyperbolizing for a point, but he because he's saying, "Like, look, I'm using these examples, and we could all do this. This could all be us. And actually, we all have that same nature in us. Not, and I want to say specifically the nature of a murderer, but the sinful nature. We all have this in us. And so you're a sinner, just like I'm a sinner, and you're a sinner, even though you're laughing." No, next to you, yeah, you. <laughs> just, just like Michael is. It's good to have you here, Michael, this morning. Uh, but you're a sinner. Uh, <laughs> we and and James is saying it, he's like we're all this way. We all have this nature in us, and you're doing community service just like he is because you broke the law. And we've all transgressed the law at some point. I don't care what you've done. We've all transgressed it. We've all sinned. We've all broken the covenant. But there's awesome good news. He says, we don't have to worry about this law that confines us. We actually live by a law of love and a law of liberty. A law that frees us from this, this worldly law that confines you. Because if, if Christianity was a list of do's and don'ts, That would be horrible. And that's what a lot of people think. It's, well, I don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. And I have to do this, have to do that, have to do that. No, that's not our faith. Our faith is freedom. And Paul says anything's permissible, but not all things are beneficial. So could I go and, well, never mind, I won't go there. Uh, (laughs) Let's go back to partiality before I get too far off track. Are you partial people because of their sins? because you think you're better than them and they've done something worse than you, whether inside the church or outside the church. You know, Jesus doesn't say love your neighbor if they're nice to you or if they're good people, you should love them. Actually, he says, this is in the context of him saying love your enemies. So he's saying love your neighbor even if they're your enemy, even if they disagree with you, even if they sin against you, love them, and that will set them free. Verse 12, he says, He says, so speak and so act this way. And basically, the so there means in this way speak, in this way act, as those who are being judged under the law. If you stop there, you're like, oh, are those being judged under the law. But he says, no, judged under the law of liberty. And this is contrasted with what he says partiality does in the first verses. And then, contrasted with the understanding of law that I just talked to you about that the law confines, he's like, "No, we have this law, that actually frees us, and it 's amazing. Love God, love neighbor and then he ends it with a with a really great verse. He says, "For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment, so judgment is." Judgment has gotten a bad rap. Like, we, we say, oh, don't judge, you know, things like that. But uh, judgment is it's merely a decision. So if we've made a judgment, right, if I make a judgment call, it's, it's a decision I've made. Judgment becomes bad when I've done it with bad emotions or bad intentions or I've done it improperly, right? So when I've made a decision improperly or have or, or I've judged you from outward appearance or what, whatever, that's, that's when judgment becomes bad. Um, but he says also here that when we do it without mercy, then it's then it's it's not good. And mercy is is pretty simple too. Mercy, this can also be translated as compassion. Mercy and compassion kind of go hand in hand here. And so mercy is just compassion, and it's not giving somebody. If you've grown up in the church, you've you've heard this simple definition of mercy. Uh mercy is not giving somebody something they do deserve. Okay? So, I've transgressed the law, I've transgressed the covenant, I've transgressed a holy God, whatever sin it is, I was just born into it, it, it doesn't matter, I've, I mean, we were just born, born this way, uh, and, and he says, mercy is God not giving me what I deserve, and he says the wages of sin in the scriptures, what you get, the payment for sin, is death. So, I deserve a pain, uh, a painful death where, where I die and God doesn't do, God doesn't do anything. But God and His mercy gave us the cross. And that's where we see mercy triumph over judgment, over judgment that's made without mercy. And that's the cross. That's Jesus. Jesus dies in our place. That's the gospel. Jesus dies in our place. He takes the death and the punishment and the wages that we deserved. And he gives us the law of liberty. So we brought on this law that's confining onto ourselves when we sin. And that's why we have this, this messed up mentality of, of of doing things this way or not doing things that way. and And kind of a legalistic mentality. But he says, no, Jesus has given us a law of love and liberty. And he's given us mercy because he's taken our place. He's taken our punishment. And he's given us grace. And grace is something is God giving us something it's kind of the I don't know if it's the I don't want to call it the opposite of, of mercy, but um, uh, grace is is God uh, giving us something that we don't deserve, and mercy is God withholding something that we actually do deserve. Does that make sense? So we deserve this punishment, and uh, instead of, instead of giving it to us, he gives us the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he gives us mercy, and he shows us mercy. And whatever God's given to us, we have a responsibility to give to others. And that's one of the biggest truths about the Christian faith that we miss and that is not lived out. That whatever God gives to us, we have the privilege and the responsibility to give to others. So who are you withholding mercy from? How often do you make decisions with mercy in mind? And Ben, you guys can come up, wherever you guys are. <laughs> like, how often do you make decisions with mercy in mind? What if, what if your judgments, your decisions, were made with mercy in mind first, then with pride or arrogance What if your marriage was defined by mercy or your relationships were defined by mercy rather than pride and my way? What if when someone wronged you, instead of lashing out, you showed mercy? Because he says mercy triumphs over judgment. It triumphs over your decision. And your decision should just be mercy because that's what God's shown us. And that's what he's given us. What if your coworker, when they did something against you, what if your response was mercy instead of anger? What if, when you're just not satisfied with life, whether you can't find a job, You can't find the right guy. You can't find the right girl. Instead of being angry with God about it, you showed mercy, just like God's shown us mercy. What if we just started living our lives by this principle? I want Trinity Life to be a church where mercy triumphs when we engage our city that will change the perception of, of what the church is. I want Trinity Life and, and this church to be a people where mercy triumphs in our relationships, in our friendships, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our singleness, in um, our volunteering, in our engagement, in whatever we do, in our jobs. And I want us to be defined by not division and disunity and partiality, but by love and liberty and mercy. So let's commit to being that type of people.